everybody, and welcome to... You know what, Mike? Mike, I can't even do it. I can't even do it, man. <sighs> I'm Keith. Mike's in Texas. We're about to get at you. Let's go. Are you ready? Can't win. The New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jeff fans are very passionate. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jeff fans are very passionate. Brady sucks. Don't be Don't be an unbeliever. What was that? Yeah. What did we just see? Coming in off a horrible game this week, guys. Uh, you know, very depressing. Jets played with no energy, no cohesion. Offense, defense, special teams completely inept. Mike, we want to talk about a team not being creative. This has been something we've said all year on offense. We haven't really had any imagination on offense. And you'll hear some people say, well, the Jets don't have any talent on the offensive side. What do you expect them to do? Do the Buffalo Bills? Do the Buffalo Bills have talent on offense? No, they don't. They're the worst ranked offense in the league coming into this game. That's garbage. They start the game off with a 47-yard pass to a practice squad player from a quarterback who was sitting at home cleaning his gutters out 11 days ago. That's what just went on this weekend, a complete embarrassment. You know, they go, they march down the field every time they had the ball in the first half. Booed off the field by your fan base. This isn't working out for me anymore. And this was the Buffalo Bills that did this. Jamal Adams mentioned that during the week, they prepared for Josh Allen. Wow. You have no clue? Matt Barkley's gonna play, they didn't even think about it? You don't prepare for him at all? He comes out of the tunnel for the game and after the first time, the Jets manage to realize that he's gonna play? Wow. Are you kidding me? Complete, absolute embarrassment coming into that game after last week's game oh, where Todd Bowles knew, knew he had to have us ready to go, knew he had to have the Jets primed to take Buffalo out, maybe give the fans, the fan base, people asking for his head a little something to think about. Oh, well, at least they beat the Bills. You know, McCown's in there. At least they beat the Bills. No! They go out, get embarrassed, blown off the field. Trash. Look clueless. Coaching-wise, look like they have no idea what's going on. Fake punts. 31-0 at halftime. The Bills? You get blown out by the Buffalo Bills? Clarity is the one piece that shines for me because now the entire fan base, all Jet fans, are now one voice saying get this coach and his staff away from me that's the really one of the only positive things that came across this sunday it was something that nobody saw coming i mean i was very i was very confident that they were going to go ahead and win the game as i spoke about last week i mean they had mccown starting the game we all thought that this was going to be a game that they were going to do well in. And after, you know, it came very apparent to me after the fake punt that this was going to be a long day, Keith. First play. First play, Barkley comes off the street, launches a 47-yard pass to Robert Forster. Who's Robert Forster? I'll tell you who he is. He's a cat off their practice squad, like Burnett. Okay? And he catches a, a pass, 47-yard pass, on Tremaine Johnson, our prized free agent. Whew. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe. And then right after that, Shady goes in for the touchdown. Two plays, man. Right in the field. And like you said, getting creative, 
They were able to, they, they stayed aggressive on offense. They were coming up with trick plays. You know, our defense did absolutely nothing. There was no pass rush at all. Barkley was able to do whatever he wanted all day. He was 15 for 25 for 232 yards and two touchdowns. Matt Barkley, Keith. Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley. Immediately 47-yard pass. His QB rating was through the roof. The Buffalo Bills looked like the Rams yesterday against us. Coming into the game, Mike, <laughs> they're last in the league in offensive yardage. They're last in the league in passing. They're last in points. And they put 41 up on the Jets. They have 31 points in the first half. They, they ran the ball all over the place. They passed the ball all over the place. The only thing we had going for us all season, at least, was we knew that the defense was decent enough. That they played great yeah. big spots at the end in some games. But they were okay. Not this weekend. Todd Bowles look completely unprepared. We're, we're going to get into Todd Bowles. But one thing that uh, Jamal Adams said today in the interview was that the Jets all week prepared for Josh Allen. And they were not prepared to go against Matt Barkley. Like, what type of head coach possibly does not prepare for a guy they signed 11 days ago that could be the starter that they announced, I thought, before the game, maybe Friday or Saturday, was going to start. Josh Allen's in, health was in question. You don't prepare for him, Mike? You're completely surprised as a team? Which quarterback walks out of the tunnel? That's when you knew who was going to play against? Like, what type of coach does that happen to? That's insane to me, Keith. It's, it's, it's... And that's why I said at the beginning of the, the show, we're clear now. There is no more debates. There are no more Jet fans out there that say, oh, Todd this, Todd that. He's got to go. He's a dead man walking. And I don't understand why they just don't fire him right now. Now, I hear, oh, we want to keep continuity for the young quarterback. There's no, you don't really get anything. I've heard a bunch of these Jet uh, uh, podcast people and, and also uh, reporters saying, you don't really get anything out of firing him right now. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You stand for what is not right. This is not right. We reject this. This is what a fan... You know what? The Gi Giants did it with with the... Uh, what's with his McAdoo. name last year? McAdoo. McAdoo. This is unacceptable. Like you said, how does he not have the team not ready for Barkley? How did he not have the team not ready for Baker Mayfield a couple of weeks ago? This is incompetence at the highest order. When you come into a game versus a division rival, Buffalo Bills... A team that you know is not an amazing team. A team that you should be at home, Mike. This team should not be putting up 41 points on you. 451 yards on offense. They ran 73 plays in the game. We did have a first down in the game. Into the middle of the second quarter. It was just everything you're watching. It was like you got out coached on every single level of the game. Offense, defense, special teams. We talk about creativity. The Buffalo Bills took one of the least talented offenses in the entire NFL, and we're running plays like you're, you know, you're out in the street with your buddies when you're 10 years old. You go here, you go there. We'll bomb the ball to this guy. I don't even know the name of the guy that caught the first pass of the game. I just know he's from the practice squad. I never even heard of him, and he's burning our 16 million dollar uh, corner that we got out there, Michael. What is it? What does it point to? Does it point to the players? Because I saw no energy, Mike. I saw no energy at all. The Bills outgained. The Bills outgained the Jets 186 to one yards after one quarter of play. Just, th just listen to that. 186 to one after the first quarter of play. It, I, I, I've never seen. You know, this is the worst loss 
that I've seen since the butt fumble, and quite possibly could be even a worse loss than the butt fumble, because at least the butt fumble, you know, was one bad, stupid play by our quarterback who ran into the offensive line, and we lost to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. We just got our butts whooped well, by that's Matt what it Barkley. Is. I mean, it's, it's more like, are we that bad of a team? Is it just that the team completely gave up? Because the offensive line, which has looked bad all year, I mean, I don't know what you... McCown didn't play well. I know he threw two picks, Mike. What did you expect him to do if you watched that game with the amount of time he had in the pocket? E- even rushing the ball, Curl, 7 for, th- seven for 19, Cannon, 4 for 30, McGuire, 6 for 30... Couldn't get to do anything really running the ball. Passing-wise, couldn't do anything. They had no time to throw the ball. They had three sacks to Bill's defense. They're tipping balls all over the place. They're hurrying balls all over the place. I mean, there was just no nothing in the game. Not a single thing from the game was positive. The offense was predictable like always. It was predictable. There was nothing creative about the game plan whatsoever. Runs and short passes, leaving them third and long. <laughs> I mean, have we been talking about that all? And... <laughs> Isn't this crazy, Keith? The other uh, thing that kind of shines bright is uh, Sam Darnold wasn't a part of this Well, yeah, you know what? Maybe the only positive we can take out of it, and I'll say this to all Jets fans, is that you know how the last couple weeks Sam looked really bad? And then this week also, too, McCown looked bad. Now, in those three weeks, that's coincided with our offensive line getting completely obliterated. And getting just beat to the point of attack Mm -hmm. at all times, it seems. Just getting manhandled and not giving the quarterback really any time to throw the ball. And when you see McCown get in there, somebody who's a veteran, who you know isn't going to necessarily be fooled by a lot of what's going on out there, and even he couldn't get anything done. Coming off a good season last year, he's always been a pretty competent quarterback. He couldn't complete passes. I mean, um, we ended up with some garbage time, you know, passing yards, but uh, we we had no Robbie Anderson, so we had no one who can go downfield. They're throwing throwing, uh, the ball downfield, Mike, to Trenton Cannon. You know that they're, they're trying to force the ball to him because we have no playmakers, right. no speed out there. But that's what I'm. But that's what I'm saying, Keith. Look, there are teams out there that have that have injuries, and they get creative with their plays. I mean, we just saw the Bills Barkley thrown to this guy Foster, who came off the practice squad, catching 47 yard bombs down the field. This is what the NFL is. You get issues or or situations that come up and you turn them around to your advantage that's why we play these coaches and these uh, 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 players to play the games and do these things as professionals you know you have coaches like Bill Belichick who win 12 and 13 and 14 games a season because he's used he's able to take injuries or figure out whatever and turn it around into wins you know consistently getting 12 13 14 wins a game this coach top doesn't have 14 wins in the three years combined if you look uh i mean if you look at that team obviously we don't have a tom brady either but even when brady hasn't been there the, the patriots have managed to be able to have a really good record figure out ways to win do something he it's the same generic damn stuff that we see week in and week out from this team i'm saying there's no change no 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 and it, and it begs the question now we're recording this podcast, we'll let everybody know. Um, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday night. The game was Sunday. As of Tuesday, Todd Bowles is still with the Jets. It looks like he's going to be with the Jets moving forward for the rest of this season. Bit of a surprise to me, Mike, just coming off last week's game and then press conference after the game, which we went through on the episode, was, was bewildering, which did not make a lot of sense. A lot of nonsensical answers. 
Um, Todd Bowles seemed like he was out there and did not have a good grasp of what was going on. Then you have this week go on where players said, well, you know, uh, we didn't really prepare for Matt Barkley, which makes it seem like the coaches have no idea what's going on or are absolutely clueless. And after the game, Todd Bowles himself, what did he say? That the coaches coached horribly. Players played horribly. Um, and he always said, we need to get better. We'll look at the film. We'll go back to the drawing board. We need to execute better. It's like, dude, how long can I hear the same answers over and over again? If you are in a relationship with someone and they did the same thing and gave you the same excuse over and over again, you get frustrated. If you have a child and they do the same thing and you correct them and their excuse is the same thing over and over again, you get frustrated. This is just how, this is how life works. And when it comes to Todd Bowles, the results have not been there. After the first year, he was ten and six. Look at look at the record: five and eleven, five and eleven, and then look at this year. He is he's won he's won fourteen he's won thirteen games, I believe, after that very first season. And you know everything's gone downhill from that last game with Fitzpatrick up there in Buffalo when they ended up losing and not making the playoffs in his very first year as a coach. Ever since then, it's just been completely downhill. And the coach hasn't showed any way of learning as the years have gone on. He hasn't shown an ability to grow. He doesn't show an ability to help his players get better. He is a good defensive mind, I will admit. He does have uh, ability to run a defense. But as far as being a head coach, he's fallen far short of that. And he's the worst coach that we've had in my opinion. Oh, yeah, it's hard to argue that because a lot of the other coaches have found success and gotten themselves into the playoffs. Mike, Al Groh was here one year. They went 9-7. and seven. And we, you know, and then they had that big win versus Tampa Bay that we went through. <laughs> it's my favorite game of all time when, uh, you know, halfback option. Yeah. Curtis Martin passed to Wayne Corbett on the end zone. Tremendous. I mean, that, that even that year had a little bit of a silver right. lining. And Bulls had that first year. 10-6 and six we went. And even though you look at it and you're like, oh, it's a pretty good record, how'd the year end? a loss to Rex Ryan. Okay, and if you do you remember when in that game, when we lost that game, the Bills repeatedly doing the same thing over and over again in that game? Tyrod Taylor, he'd throw a little five-yard pass to Watkins. Tyrod Taylor just dump it off. Tyrod Taylor would be able to break containment and get out. And we barely lost the game, and that Jabroni yep. team beat us. And they had no business beating us. We didn't know it then. But that was a, uh, and the Bulls played that game ridiculously conservatively, and we lost. Patrick threw some interceptions. He didn't play his best game. We lost the game, and since then, what he's done has just been the most conservative coach we've had in the history of the Jets. And uh, Robbie had a good article on ESNY if anyone wants to check it out recently about some of the things that the Jets need to do. What's been going wrong with the Jets uh, if they want to get better? And one of them was was in regards to Bowles and his conservative coaching approach, which is very 1980s-esque, which I do agree with, which is trying to rely on your defense, play close football, uh, and grind it out, which is not the way the, the football works in 2018. Those teams do not do good in 2018. There'll always be an anomaly if your defense is completely ridiculous, like the Jaguars or something like that. But um, if your defense is okay but middle of the pack like the Jets right now, your offense cannot be this absolutely putrid and antiquated and predictable. I can't. You're not going to win in the NFL. He's, 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 you know, Jeff Fisher reincarnate. He's... John Fox? John Fox, yeah. John Fox, right? You know, these guys, they, they left. They hired offensive gurus, McVay and Matt Nagy. And then all of a sudden, the offense and... 
the, the players started being able to reach potentials that they've never even reached before. Look at, and now you see, you know, young Jared Goff and you see Mitchell Trubisky just shining in their new type of offenses. We just drafted this 21-year-old quarterback who actually has regressed in the past few games, whether it's due to injuries, whether it's due to lack of call play calling. Uh, we need to have a coach in here that is going to be there f to groom and help develop this coach and that this quarterback and that is the number one to me most important direction that this franchise has to go is the development of this quarterback. It is the number one paramount thing that they must do and they must find the coach and the system that will couple and help young Sam Darnold yeah, and reach his potential. When you get someone new in here, then it's easier for that person to not have a conflict with trying to groom Sam and get better with him because that guy knows he has time. When you have a guy like Todd Bowles who know his, you know, he's sticking his neck out there and he kind of has his back up against the wall, he's not necessarily going to coach or move forward with his team or have his thought process in a place, Mike, where he's worrying about Sam Darnold. He's worrying about his own job. So that's where you have the conflict. And that's where it seems to me that, you know, we have kind of a disconnect between what's going on with Todd Bowles and what he's played Sam. He started him. I get that. So in that way, he went about it right. But when he was asked about it, he said, you know, the most important thing is to win games. It's not necessarily the development of Sam Darnold. And the way he's coached this year and the way they've gone about things with Spencer Long not pulling him when the ball is going all over the place. Like there's decisions he's made as a coach this season that have been detrimental to Sam. There's no, there's no arguing that. There's no arguing yes, that. Yes, there it. have. And if, and if I may, I wanted to give you some of my opinions of what I think that this team should do going forward. Since it's three and seven, we're not going to the playoffs. Please, Mike. Bestow everyone with your knowledge. All right. So first, I was thinking. I'm looking at the team, and I'm thinking, make Eli McGuire the primary run back. Let's see what this kid has. Isaiah Crowell has been a bust for the Jets so far. I mean, he had one two good games, one great game, another good game, and the other games he's just been really not someone who's that been impactful. Uh, Bilal Powell is on injured reserve. So Eli looks like he's been pretty good the last couple of games. I would make him the primary back and see what see what we got in him. Why not insert Deontay Burnett into the mix now, make him the third wide receiver, give Sam Darnold some comfort with one of the uh, wide receivers that he had from USC. Um, help maybe infuse some 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 wide receiver talent that we really haven't cultivated before and see what we got with him. Make another thing to me is make Nathan Shepard a three down defensive end. Shepard has started five of the 10 games, the Jet 10 games, and he's been playing about 30 to 40 percent of the snaps on a weekly basis, but he only plays when the Jets are in jumbo packages. I just you know what, the Henry Anderson kind of falling back to earth the last couple of games, I would just put Nathan Shepard in there as a three-down defensive end, and let's see what he can do. He had some plays. Yeah, this was his best game this weekend. He had six tackles, so he actually did yeah. get in there and get some time, and he doesn't play as much as you would have thought at the beginning of the season, for whatever reason, Mike, maybe the coaches know better than we do, but all the things you mentioned so far, considering the way the year has gone, now that it was three and seven, you can really throw the towel in and maybe see what you have in a McGuire who did seem like last year, Mike, you had a little juice in those legs. Uh, you had some separation. His yards per carry right now is pretty good. 
And Shepard's another guy, man. I, I would really like to see him in there and see what uh, the Canadian Thanos can do. Maybe towards the end of the year, just getting that playing time can be beneficial for him next year. Absolutely. And another thing I would do, I would bench Buster Screen and start Perry Nickerson at cornerback. Let him. He, he came in there before when Screen was injured. He was exposed on a couple of plays, but he started looking like he was starting to get a little bit more comfortable there. Buster Screen's going to be a free agent. We're not signing him back enough. You know, enough with him. Put in Parry. Let's see what we got. He's also, he's been inconsistent throughout the Jets Center. But, uh, you know, hopefully we could see what we have in him. Also, I don't know what you think about this idea, but how about we promote Frankie Luvu to out starting outside I mean, Luvu's played well enough to at least be given a shot. And it's not like uh, Jenkins or any of the other outside linebackers we have or Jenkins has five sacks, but besides that, he doesn't really have that many tackles this year. I think he has about 22 tackles. Mike, I mean, why not give Louvre a shot? He showed the preseason he can get to the quarterback. Oh, maybe even overly aggressive. He had some penalties in the preseason. with was smashing quarterbacks with his helmet when he would make a tackle. But Louvre seems like somebody with some talent. All those young guys, as the rest of the year goes on, should get a shot. And can we get can we get Fatou Kassi in there? He's been inactive every single game. Why don't we just try yeah, him out, just, too? But the thing is, uh, Bulls might move forward the rest of this year, Mike, and the way he approaches it is to just have the team, uh, maybe there's guys, veterans, other players, that he thinks give him a better chance of winning each week, as opposed to putting in guys that you want to see what they have and build them up for next year, because he doesn't, maybe he doesn't think he'll be here next year. That's true. And the last thing I was going to say, besides, of course, fire and goals, is get rid of Jeremy Bates right now. I'm done, just, I'm I'm done with him. They've been averaging 10.75 points over the last four games. The running game is stagnant. The call play calls are just consistently conservative, and and they they always are putting us in third and long situations. I would move on from Jeremy Bates at this point and get somebody get another voice in there for Sam Darnold because this guy. He just, it doesn't seem... No, it doesn't. I did say, you know, well, one thing we didn't discuss yet is, you know, say they, for instance, when we talked about them firing Bowles and whether or not we think that's necessary, obviously I think Bowles needs to go. Whether you do it now or you do it at the end of the season, you know he's going to be fired, so I don't see why it hurts to do it now. But one other thing to take into consideration is I don't think the Jets think or feel they have anybody on the current coaching staff that can replace him and do an adequate job because Bates has proven himself to be a complete moron. Uh, he has no idea what he's doing and he's a clown. Uh, he, I don't think they think he's going to do it. I mean, there's no one else even possibly to me uh, that's head coaching material that is going to come in these last six games from our coaching staff. And then, are they going to bring someone in from outside the team? Probably not. So all add that up, Mike, and that's probably more of the reason that I think Todd Bowles is saying anything. Well, uh, what you could do is you could promote Rick Dennison, the offensive line coach, as the offensive coordinator, um, he has had some offensive coordinator experience um, in his ten years, uh, ten years coaching in the NFL. He's somebody that could be a fresh new voice for Sam Darnold as far as offensive coordinator is concerned. But as far as head coach, yes, I completely agree with you. There really isn't anybody that could really take over for Todd Bowles if we were to let him go. I really, I mean, do we want Casey Rogers running this team? I don't think so. The situation uh, kind of got heavy on me. So, the Buffalo Bills loss is, has really has really taken a toll on Jet fans. It's taken a toll on all of us. The game was very depressing. 
Todd Bowles still being the coach for a lot of Jet fans. Somebody else is bumming us out. Players themselves, a lot of them played very disappointingly. A lot of guys and a lot of fans saw just a lot of dudes not really give effort. But I think somebody that has not been put on the hot seat as much as I think he maybe should be put on the hot seat insofar as the team that's out there and the talent level that's out there is our general manager, Mikey Mack McCagnet. For his, his tenure as GM has been marked with draft picks. We got to a little bit of a disagreement earlier today with you saying you don't think they were as bad as some people think. Where I think, if we're going to be honest, that you know he's had 28 draft picks since he came in as a general manager. Now, when you're a general manager, your draft, your free agent signings, and your trades is kind of what you're judged by. Uh, that's your kind of three three criteria that you usually get judged by, and that's the way you acquire players and build your team. But the way you build your team, you know, the fastest and the teams that end up being really good, the fastest is through dra the draft. You know, you, that's your homegrown talent. You don't have to pay them that much for the first two or three years. And we're we're four years into these drafts with Mikey Mack, and. He has 28 draft picks. Now, Jamal Adams is going to be a stud. And I think this year, Mike, I think he's going to be in the Pro Bowl. And he, he's easily the best play, probably the best player on our whole team. So, Marcus May has played decently enough also. And then you have a laundry list of draft picks that have been made. Going back to 2015 where Dean Simon was a nose tackle we took in the seventh round. Jarvis Harris, Bryce Petty, Malden, Devin Smith... None of these guys are on the team anymore. The only guy still left on the team is Leonard Williams. And we have, to a degree, now think about that, an entire draft class, a whole entire year of a draft class, and all Jet fans know this already, they're all gone besides one guy. And we kind of sort of, I think Jet fans have a false image at this point of Leonard Williams, I think. And what I mean by that is, his second year in the league, he had seven sacks. His first year was okay. Second year, seven sacks. He played pretty good. It seemed like he was ascending. And then last year came, and he had 47 tackles on the season. He had two sacks. And you say, okay, you know, that's that, that's not really amazing. But considering, uh, you know, we had a down year, maybe that was just a blip on the radar. And then he come into this year, and through 10 games this year, he has 25 tackles. And he has three sacks on the season. In the past five games, Mike, he has four tackles and zero sacks. You want to talk about somebody that's trending downward, and I'm not trying to hit on Leo. I love the big cat. But even Leonard Williams, I think, where some people write off as if that is a great draft pick. He was number six pick in the draft. He's been a starter. He's been serviceable. You cannot say Leonard Williams has been someone that's dominated because he hasn't. And the stats aren't there to back it up. And that's someone that I think people point to as one of his really good draft picks. To me, that's not. To me, Darren Lee in the first round, just because he started, and just because and he's had some good plays this year, don't get me wrong, it's a big interception that this year has played much better, um, but he's not somebody that's outstanding, you know? We only have one guy that's even sniffing the Pro Bowl that he's drafted in four years in the draft, and that's Jamal Adams. You go through 2016, and we have Sharon Peake. He's still on the team. He's a good special teamer, and Locke Edwards is another good special teamer. But if you're going to write off your, your your skill as a drafter and a GM on drafting special team guys, you're not going to be in the NFL that long. Brandon Shell is okay at right tackle. He starts too. But considering the talent we have on our team, he's the best offensive line we have just because our talent level is so low. You know, Because he's not that good either to me. Uh, Justin Burris, we took a cornerback. We took Jenkins in the third round. Who, you know, Jenkins is someone who this year has gotten five sacks but also has not been really a difference maker on defense really at all. The second round pick in 2016 was Christian Hackenberg. We all know how that went. And then Darren Lee was the first pick. 2017 draft, 
where we had Adams, we had May, we got McGuire in that draft, but we took a Darius Stewart, we took Chad Hansen, we took Leggett, we took Donahue, Jeremy Clark, Derek Jones, nine players in that draft taken. Two of them are starters. One of them just came back, Elijah McGuire, and you know, he's a backup running back, could be a starting running back maybe one day. We'll leave this year's draft class out of it because it's still to be determined. Sam's still to be determined. I think that Nathan Shepard's still to be determined. Herndon's proven himself to be a pretty decent talent. Nickerson, Fatukasi, Cannon. We'll see what's going on with all of them. But Mike, this this is not a stellar draft record for somebody whose jobs in the NFL, all of his jobs in the NFL and in Canada, it was as a scout. It was in player personnel. That's what he did. And then you look at what he's supposed to yeah. be his strength. And it has not been his strength for our team. We do not have a talented team at all. General managers ultimately are judged on results. And the results that we have seen from Mike McCagnan and his drafts have not been overall convincing. They lack impact talent. Has he found role players? Yes, he has. But has he found impact talent? Really, only one player that you mentioned, Jamal Adams, is that type of talent. Now, there are a couple of inputs that go into a general manager and how well uh, they're doing at their job. One of them, obviously, is their draft the other are trades and then the other are big contracts that they sign whether they are free agents or whether they're in-house in-grown uh, homegrown players and I'm gonna just go over briefly the three of them and talk about where what I think of uh, what I think of uh, he's done so far as with his job so as you said 28 picks with the draft 11 of them have been cut. 60% of all his draft picks are still on the team. Of those, 10, per, 10 of them are starting, so 35% of his draft picks are actually currently starting now. The problem that I have with all of his draft picks, like you said before, are, is that none of them really have been impact players except for uh, Jamal Adams. Marcus May also was a decent pick, but besides all of those draft picks, really there hasn't been anybody that truly was a was a standout. Uh, Darren Lee has been a disappointment. Jordan Jenkins has been at, b- below average, a third round pick. You know, Brandon Shell was a fifth round pick. He is the starting right tackle. He has met expectations, but again, he's not a great player. Lachlan Edwards is a punter. He's a good punter, but he's a punter. I mean, uh, you know, you've got Jordan Leggett and you've got Elijah McGuire that we're still going to have to see what they can do. Derek Jones doesn't get ever get a chance to play. And then this year's draft with Sam Darnold, Nathan Shepard, Chris Herndon, Perry Nickerson, Flatukasi, and Trenton Cannon all may end up being great. Sam Darnold being the main prize of uh, on on really yeah, but also, entire tenure and but, Leonard Williams has Leonard Williams has been a disappointment uh, Leonard Williams was the sixth pick in the draft he was picked in the same position that that Jamal Adams was and he has been serviceable at best at defensive line now we know he doesn't have the numbers the sacks the tackles but he does cause disruptions he does draw double teams but as the player that he was drafted at, where he was drafted, and how he's drafted, 
we expected a lot more from Leonard Williams and Freeman one thing Smith. I want to add to the Leonard Williams talk is you know you look at um, where he was drafted and kind of I think the, the, the in our mind kind of where we thought his talent would be so we're through 10 games this year you know Calais Campbell for instance has 43 tackles 5 sacks this year right um, Aaron Donald has 34 mm-hmm. tackles 12 sacks Garrett of the Browns 28 tackles 9 sacks Watt 25 tackles 9 sacks and Leo has you know three sacks they were in two games and seven other games he's made no impact at all when we come to back to the draft if you remove the players that were drafted in this year's draft that percentage of guys that are on the team that he drafted goes down a lot but he just drafted them so you're factoring that into your math which kind of helps your math out a little bit there the three years previous to that there's not as that's not a high number as you're talking about guys that are on the team and guys that are starters um, and just just simply because guys are on the roster, if your roster is looked at as one of the least talented rosters in the NFL, the guys just simply making it on the roster and being on it doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't matter that 60% of the guys are on there. If they stink, you know, who cares? It doesn't make a difference. You, you can have you can have eight ninety percent, a hundred percent. If they all stink, it doesn't make a difference. When you when you're four years into a right. draft, you know some of his other moves he's done outside of drafts have been better. We'll get to those. Like you said, guys like Lock Edwards and you know Shell for where he was drafted in the fifth round, he's a serviceable right tackle, I guess. So that's not a horrible pick. I won't say it is. Where is yeah? Where's where the, the impact? impact? Why where are the like impact players? Draft like these running backs or some receiver in the second round, and the guys tremendous. You know, and he's big game-breaking. And, you know, and Tyree Kill and Hunt and all these guys are Kelsey. They're all on the same team, you know? Like, it's not like all those guys were drafted right. in the first round, Mike. You know, they weren't. And you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, some I teams think. just draft these guys perfectly. He, the only player that I have saw that he drafted and the player was an undrafted player was Robbie Anderson, who exceeded expectations. And that was a good pickup by Mike McCagden. But overall, from what I've seen and what the results are showing us, really the only player that he has to show for his entire tenure is Jamal Adams, which was a phenomenal pick. And that's not really cutting it. Again, there are players that are on the roster, but they're all role players. There's none of them that are really impact players the ones that you, the Tyree Kills of the world, you know, the Camaras of the world, like you were just saying before. Or even the defensive, and, besides um, Jamal Adams, even the defensive impact player. Because Marcus May is Marcus May is good, right. and you know Leonard Williams his second year in the league, he flashed last year. Didn't do much. This year, he's not really doing anything. You know, they they've drafted defensive players, they drafted offensive players, they haven't drafted any difference makers guys that make a difference in the no, game. There's only not. one of them they have, and you see him out there every single week making a difference. His name is Jamal Adams, and Darren Lee's made a few big plays this year, don't get me wrong, but by no stretch does anyone consider Darren Lee an elite linebacker right now in the NFL. I mean, the Christian Hackenberg picks looked at as one of the right. worst picks of all time, and it was your... Of all times. And I... And I and I, and, and you, you was know literally, you said it was I the worst pick in the history the, of the Jets. In the so, history, I mean, yes. you know, that was the, that was the GM <laughs> that, that selected him. Um... <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so draft picks. I, I give him a failing grade. If we were gonna give him a grade, I give him a, 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 a C minus. I give him a C minus for drafts. Now, when it comes to trades, 
So far, he's had 10 trades as a Jet head coach. When he first came to the Jets, the Jets were not looking to rebuild. They were looking to be competitive right out of the gate. That's what Woody Johnson wanted. So he drafted, he traded his fifth round pick for Brandon Marshall, who became the statistically the best receiver that the Jets ever had and formed a dynamic duo with Eric Decker. Won 10 games. They didn't make the playoffs, but I believe that was a very good trade for a fit for a fifth pick and what they were trying to do. They also traded a conditional seventh round pick for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who at the time had the best statistical season of any quarterback for the New York Jets and won 10 games. Obviously, they didn't make the playoffs, so it was in vain. But for the value of the pick, I thought that was a great trade. The other next trade he did, he traded a seventh for his running back Zach Stacy. That didn't go anywhere. Traded a fifth for Ryan Clady the following year and a seventh when Brick retired. Harm. Clady was terrible, ended up on IR. Terrible trade. He traded Calvin Pryor for Demario Davis. Demario Davis led the, the Jets in, in, in tackles. Uh, thought that was a very good trade. Calvin Pryor was a horrific pick by Isaac. Dexter traded. De then he traded Dexter McDougal for uh, safety Terrence Brooks, who still contributes today. I think that ended up being a good trade. Traded Sheldon Richardson and a 2017 seventh for Curse, a second round pick, which was ended up using for Sam Darnold, and a 2018 seventh round pick, which where they picked Henry Anderson. I thought this trade, he knocked it out the park. This was a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal trade. Whoa, 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 whoa! Not you, you're prone to hyperbole with knocking out the park. Sheldon Richardson. Richardson is really, really good still right now, and Curse is absolutely doing nothing. So just, just saying, you, you might have been able to use something else to still get Sam Darnot. You're basing it off thing to get Sam, but in the hypothetical world, if he didn't make that trade, he might have still been able to get Sam. Jermaine Curse did okay last year, and this year he's done absolutely no just like all the rest of the Jets. He's done nothing, and Sheldon Richardson uh, is doing really. He's playing really well this year. So I don't know. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's a horrible trade, or but I don't know if he knocked it out of the park like it's some ridiculously amazing trade and getting back to a moment I want to comment on the Brandon Marshall trade Brandon Marshall had he's not the greatest receiver in his dress he's the greatest receiver for one season yeah for one season for, for a single, single season. season okay first of all second of all what happened the next season they fell apart they fell apart do you remember that when he when he no no not only that when he fell apart and became all of a sudden me first Brandon Marshall again and then was dumpster fire burned the Jets on his way out the door and took a dump on us that's what happened the year after that. So that's not that's not a trade. That's a slam dunk great trade to me, Brandon Marshall. Because the, the next year when they just didn't play as well, he all of a sudden they, packed it in. They signed Fitzpatrick. That was great that first year. Then the next year, they they negotiated with him. They signed him back for that one year with an option for a second. He played horribly. Yeah, and and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get to that por portion in a second. I'm just going through all these yeah. trades and just that point that you just brought up with Fitzpatrick. I'm gonna get there in one second. So then. Right after that Sheldon pick, he, he did that fifth round pick for Rashard Robinson. Rashard Robinson is on the team now. I'm not sure if that was a great trade or not. You know, he's still playing, but he hasn't been an impact player. The Jets then traded two firsts and a, uh, uh, traded a first and two seconds to get go from six to three uh, to get in position to draft a quarterback. That was praised as one of the best moves they've seen from this GM. I was absolutely in love with the move. It happened on the St. Patrick's Day. I was so excited when that happened. I, and it just was an amazing move. And I will credit Mike McCagnan for doing it and going right after him after he tried to go get Cousins. And obviously we talked about that. 
Um, and then he traded a seventh round pick to get Henry Anderson, and that Henry Anderson hasn't been playing really that great the last few games, but throughout the season he's been doing pretty good. So of the ten trades that he's made as a GM, seven of them have brought value to me. The Brandon Marshall trade, the Fitzpatrick trade, the Pryor for Demario Davis, the McDougal for Brooks, the Sheldon, the trade to go up from six to three, and the trade for Henry Anderson. Well, that's a stretch. That's certainly a stretch because half those trades, half the trades you just said were good as you were talking about them. You were like, ah, oh, well, that was kind of a run. Like Henry Anderson, for instance. Like he had two good games, but we have no idea at this point if that pick's going to yield something better than Henry Anderson or not. And the Brandon Marshall well, trade, you're basing it off a single season. The Fitzpatrick trade, you're basing it off a single season when they played more than one season. Well, overall, w would you say that he has done better than not on trades? Uh, I, I mean, I, I say his trades are 50-50, and the big trade he made was Sam. We still That's still to be determined because we don't know how Sam's going to work out. And we don't okay. know who, we okay. don't know at six who we would have been able to get or with those other two picks because that's a hypothetical. But what he did, he that trade he made to go up and get Sam... Um, that could be the greatest trade in the history of the franchise of the Jets. It has that potential. Yes. So I'm not naive potential. to that, and that he could end up becoming the guy who's the biggest genius in the history of football if he becomes the next Tom Brady. So he has that, and that's basically what his entire GM ship is going to be based on. You're right. Uh, and the, and no matter what me and you say now, no matter what drafts we talk about, no matter how many horrible picks he's made previously, his tenure will be judged on one pick. All right. And, and I, I say Arnold. I, I right. You're, thousand percent right i gave him a b on trades if if yours a little lower you're saying 50 50 you're giving him like a c understood uh, and again you're right about the brandon marshall it was one year i thought the fifth round for that type of value at the time for what they were trying to do did bring value now the now the, the the third part that i wanted to get into which which you brought up about uh fitzpatrick was what about the big contracts not, not just free agents. I'm talking about the big contracts that this general manager has signed for players. And this, when I say big, I mean a contract greater than $10 million guaranteed. Not an overall, but the $10 million and up guaranteed. There's only been a few players that have gotten that. Darrell Revis, Buster Screen, Muhammad Wilkerson, Fitzpatrick, Tremaine Johnson, David Harris, uh, Beecham, Will Avery Williamson, and Winters. I'm now, gonna Avery go Williamson the, stands out as the yeah. only one of those points <laughs> that's worth any of the money. I know what you're gonna say. I'm gonna take the words right out of your mouth. <laughs> yes, that's exactly exact. There's only one, one of these major contracts that actually is looking like it was fruitful. And that is Avery Williamson right now, linebacker for the New York Jets. Every single one of these contracts are garbage. And not just garbage. Revis's was one of the worst in the history of football. And so was Wilkerson's. Yeah, Wilkerson's Terrible. was just Terrible. And it's not looking like the Tremaine Johnson signing is looking good either. Considering that practice squad guys are burning him for 47 yards immediately in games. Uh, and every, everyone else you mentioned, there's this, this a lot of bad ones. I, I mean, in my mind, I didn't even know if he had one good one that was a big contract he signed. You just went through them all right there, the litany of them. And Avery Williamson has played great, and he's been a tremendous player so far. But now you got to think of it like this. This guy that we just mentioned all these things about, he's in charge of our next draft, and he's in charge of $110 million. Yes, and, I, that, and that's where I was going. So, so here, now hear me out. Now, he hasn't done good with giving out big contracts. 
I think he's done better than he ha- uh, than worse than on trades and on drafts on the draft he's definitely below average. Now, here's what he's left us in the four years. Right now, the Jets do have one of the youngest and most inexpensive rosters currently in the NFL. We have the second most money to spend behind the Indianapolis Colts going into 2019. We hopefully have already found the franchise quarterback, and he's positioned the franchise from in get in getting financially stable to where we can, if we're flexible, we can go ahead and go after the free agents that we want to go after and and build around the centerpiece that he's already found in Sam Darnold, right? So when I look at Mike McCagnin, I say this, Keith, general managers can just absolutely decimate franchises. Obviously, like you saw what the Giants did when they didn't go after a quarterback and they went after a running back, you take you could take a franchise in a completely different direction. Mike Tannenbaum totally had our entire team strung on terrible contracts with Holmes uh, and all of those other players, Sanchez with the extension. We, we, we couldn't do anything for a couple of years. Now, Mike McCagnin has not been good in drafting, and we know that. He has shown some savviness in in regards to trades. But the thing I like about him the most, uh, Keith, if there's anything that I like about him, is that he has us in position to make good decisions and to build a franchise now. We're not hamstrung with any major contracts, okay? And we have the centerpiece which hopefully we could attract the coach. I'm afraid that if we were to get rid of Mike McCagnin and bring in this another guy who thinks of a completely different vision, he would set in motion and change everything that is already constituted. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like right now, they've, they're, they're at a great place. They've got all the money to spend. They've got draft picks. They've got the quarterback. This is where every GM and every coach wants to start. Now you could go out get start getting guys to put on the offensive line. You could go get, go out and get Le'Veon Bell if you want to. You could pay for anybody you want and start giving Sam what he needs. And hopefully they could go find the coach. So again, I don't like the drafting and his ability to talent. Hopefully he can get some help there. Uh, to try to cultivate and find impact players, but I very much like where he's put the Jets, Keith. I'm not going to lie. One one counterpoint I'll make, Mike, is say, for instance, if in 2015, Mike McCagnin actually had a good draft, then coming up this next offseason, he'd have a lot of good players to try to re-sign. He might have to spend some of that money, mm. but instead we have absolutely nobody absolutely drafted that's good, <laughs> so we have to spend the money on anyone, so that's helpful to put you in the type of situation. Um, and also, we kind of held off last year on big signings. Uh, and we're prudent with the money, which I get. And he's put us in a good position cap-wise. Which is, do you feel comfortable with him being the person behind these free agent signings uh, with all of this money, behind the draft, and to build it for the future? A lot of these signs we have right in front of us say no. Yeah, no, and- I don't. But 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 can he bring... See, 
here's the thing, can if you know you have a weakness and you see that you, you're not doing something, can he not bring voices in to help him with these decisions? Can can he not do that? I mean, that I feel like that's something that could be corrected. What what sometimes you can't correct are these GMs that think that they know it all and then just start spending money and get us completely locked in like the way Tannenbaum did. I do not want another Tannenbaum. No, we can't afford that. We can't afford that in our life. And, uh, you know, guys, you know, this was a tough week. So, obviously, everybody, we're not going to go through that entire game and torture all of us. The last couple weeks, everyone, we haven't been breaking the games down, Mike, because what's there to break down? Three and outs? You guys want me to, you guys want me to cut highlights in there of us punting? Fine. You want a punting <laughs> highlight? Here it is. The punt. A booming kick. Fielded at the three. <laughs> oh, was that entertaining? You guys like those punts? I'm not putting in, I'm not wasting my time on that. Depressing stuff, man. Cause we like bringing the game down, we have fun, it's a blast. But guess what? When you're playing the way we played the last couple weeks, uh, even the game before that, we're not gonna go through that. We're gonna highlight that. We're gonna talk about the game. We're gonna go through it. Hopefully we kept you guys entertained this week, guys. I know it's been tough. So no game coming up next week. We have a bye. We'll still be back at you guys next week, talking Jets, talking NFL football entertaining you the best we can mike i want to thank as always everybody for listening and supporting us i know it's tough being, i know it's tough being a jet fan right now i know it ain't easy being green just stick with it hopefully in the long run there'll be good things in our future but i want to again thank everybody for supporting us uh hitting play getting at us on twitter and all our social media and mike if anyone does want to do that could you please let them know where they can absolutely everybody knows that we are hosted on the elite sports network you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Please follow us on Facebook at AEBG.JetsRadio. On Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ Podcast. And on Instagram at Jet.AEBG. All right, you heard the man. Next week, we will have a special guest on the show. Man, that's very angry with Todd Bowles as well. We'll, we'll, we'll clue you guys in when we hit the show up next week. Thank you for joining us, guys. Keep the faith. Peace out. Are you ready? The New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jet fans are Jet fans, Jet fans, Jet fans, Jet fans, Jet fans Bird, Bird. very passionate. Bird, Bird. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jet fans are very passionate. Brady sucks. Y'all beat us up. Y'all are an unbeliever.